for everybody podcast. Here we go. What'd you think of that trip we just got back on? Oh my god. I still been thinking about it. It's funny, man. I, I I don't know if people or if we even understand like hanging out with a guy like George Brett. It it's it's weird. It's you see him everywhere and you think about his career and I mean I don't know much as much about his career as you guys do, but just to think about twenty years in baseball and with the same team and to be in the Hall of Fame and you know, to hold three decades of hitting titles and, and it's just it's 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 just crazy and you think back we sat and had dinner with that guy you know it's a man it's just a different deal it's it's awesome to go to batting practice and you know the clubhouses and the locker rooms but to sit down and have dinner with a guy like that just out of uniform you know no more baseball it's it's it was just epic if I and then yeah you you started off with we'll get back to some more of the the trip but it's George Brett's a good topic because if you if you really do break it down and break down what he did as a professional athlete, um, twenty years like you said with the Kansas City Royals, first ballot Hall of Famer, he won the hitting title in three different decades: the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Which you can chalk it up to good timing, but just to win one hitting title is amazing. But to do it in the mid seventies, and then in the you know in the mid eighties, and then again in, or you know early eighties really, and then again ten years later, he won it in nineteen eighty when he almost broke Ted Williams' record of, of 400, 401. George was you know two weeks out, and the story the, you remember that night he's telling us the story of how it went down and the meetings he was having with his coaches, and they were also chasing the pennant, and they were you know they were hopefuls for the World Series that year. I mean, think about like we're we're sitting there with one of you know arguably one of the best baseball players, one of one of the best hitters for sure of all time in the game, and he takes us to his house and he makes us margaritas and he treats us like we're buddies. And it's just you look back on it and you're exactly right, Crosby. You're like, man, it's like, did that really just happen, or is it? Or do I got to pinch myself? And some people might be like, you know, who's George Brett? But to us, growing up playing baseball and being so passionate about baseball. And to go to Phoenix and that whole surrounding area of Scottsdale and where spring training's held for the Cactus League every year, we're, we're not, we, we get to go down there as fans, but then we're like, wow, we're, we're eating Mexican food with George Brett and we're here with Charlie Blackman of the Colorado Rockies and the way they accept us and it's all because of freaking outdoors and hunting. And I just, I can't get over it either. That's why I wanted to start this talk off, but wasn't it cool listening to him talk about him chasing Ted Williams' record? Yeah, it, it- you know what I took away from that, which I don't know if it, you know it was a it was there, but it was kind of underlying. But that the baseball is a team sport. You know what I mean? He he was chasing you know his dream, his that hitting record, and they kind of backburnered it for the team. You know what I mean? He, that, you remember he said, "Hey, what if you went out there and got injured? You know, like we know you want five more at bats. You know, if you go five for five, you've got that record, but." what if you get hurt and we got to play the Yankees on Tuesday? You know, I believe that's a, that's pretty much what he said is, you know, you, you could go bat today and try and go five for five, but we got to play the Yankees on Tuesday. What if you get hurt? You know, and that's the, they're chasing the pennant. You know, they, they, the coaches, I'm not going to say they don't care about his hitting record, but they want to win the world series. You know, that's what the whole goal is of the deal. And I really just, you kind of wish that every 12 year old kid in little league could hear heard him say that because that's what drives baseball home it's a team sport you know it's not yeah and i and i agree 100 percent. but here's the deal is that you got a guy that was 27 years old at the time and that was his words of the coach i'm george brett i'm 27 i'm not going to get hurt and if you think about the mindset of a professional athlete and then you look at the organization and the business part of it and the gm and and the coach and the manager and everybody that goes into making those decisions of you you play 162 games in a season 
part of the success of being able to go through that season is consistency. But now all of a sudden you're telling the guy that's the best hitter in the game of all time, potentially, arguably, but for sure that season, the best hitter going into the into the playoffs that year, and you're going to tell a 27-year-old George Brett, like, hey, you're sitting out? Well, I just played 160 games, and you think I'm going to get hurt in the next 18 innings, and you're going to take away a chance of getting that record because you think I could potentially get hurt. Well, without me in there, we could potentially lose. We could potentially get a worse seating in the playoffs. There's a lot of things that go in there, and I'm sure that even if they lost those two games, they were still going to get the same setting you know the same seating in the playoffs and they were going to you know be in the same position in the standings but my mindset is look I'm a I dive into third base I take people out I got a Pete Rose mentality as well you know and I'm I, I play the hot corner at third base I mean the chances of me getting hurt could have happened in the first 160 games the odds of me getting hurt now and these two unless they're coming at me and throwing me chin music and maybe they will but I doubt it I I just I look at it like man why would you sit that guy when he has a chance to do that? Unless maybe the Ted Williams family called and said, hey, <laughs> coach, here's a little something for the Gipper, you know, if you, right. if you sit this number five. A little collusion. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> a hot topic. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> cool. And then just, just being around him and hearing, like, you just want to in, it, it, it be it, able to digest everything that he talks about because he's talking about things that were his experiences on the field with, like the Stan Musial story when at the golf tournament and the stuff about Bo Jackson and the things that he experienced of being in the major leagues from 1974 all the way to 1990, retiring first ballot Hall of Famer. And you're sitting there going, I'm literally sitting next to my childhood hero. We used to leave here and drive to the Bay Area to Oakland, Alameda Coliseum and watch the A's play the Royals when the Royals would come to town and Brett Saberhagen would be on the bump, Frank White at second base. You had... George Brett at third base or in right field, sometimes towards the later end of his career, Bo Jackson in center or left field. You had absolute studs on that team. And then here we are this many years later, and we're having dinner with George Brett in Phoenix at spring training. And we've done it every year for the last five years. He's just taken us in as friends and family. Right. Yeah. It's, it, and, and you touched on it earlier, you know, it's all because of hunting, but, but what I, kind of also love about it is he doesn't really talk about hunting that much you know what i mean he he does and he and he maybe he'll tell you one or two stories about his last season but it's 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 a friendship you know what i mean that's a friendship that you guys have developed it's you know we ask him about his old baseball stories but we're not talking about baseball you know you you might talk about a little bit of hunting but really you're not talking about hunting you know it's more than that now which is really cool because this is what the third or fourth year that we've uh we've gone, or I think the fifth year maybe that we've gone down there and hung out with George and, you know, it's, it's just blossomed into a really cool thing where, and it's a, you know, something that now you're sharing with, you know, your family, your, your nephews, and obviously your brothers and uh, myself and other friends. And, um, it's just a really special deal to go down there. And, uh, you know, we missed one year of, of these last few and it, it, it was, uh, it was tough to, uh, miss, you know, it's one of those trips that you don't want to, uh, you don't want to postpone or put off and life gets ahead of everybody or whatever, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy we went this year and I think we're already planning for next. So, uh, hopefully it's, it's even better than what we got to go through this year. Yeah. I think it's become like a, like a, this huge social activity to be at spring training and one, you know, we love baseball. We love being at the games, but being able to experience the way that we do, we're humbled by it. And, you know, the Colorado Rockies that day with the way they reacted to us and their players where you're like, wow, these are some of the top 
you know, players in the league. They're, you know, they could win the National League West pennant this year. They got a great chance of beating the Dodgers. And then their stud comes out, Charlie Blackman, who's a fan of what we do. And he's a hunter and a fly fisherman. And we, we develop a quick friendship, just like, I mean, that quick, not a quick friendship, but <clears throat> we develop a friendship that quick with him to where now we're texting and talking about seeing him during the season, after the season, hunting, fi- fishing trips. And I don't know, man, I just, I love that correlation of the outdoors and how it brings all these different walks of life together. And these guys are, let's not hide it. I mean, they're making a good living. <laughs> these guys, you <laughs> see these contracts that Harper just signed and that Trout just signed and that, you know, 440 million for 12 years. And the guys that we're talking to make good money a year too. You know, we're talking 10, 15, $20 million a season and talking to them, you would never know it. They're just down to earth guys that love to be in the outdoors and when we're in their world, they treat us like they, you know, with nothing but respect, bring us in. And we get to see spring training and baseball from a different view, a different level. And we're humbled by it. And we, I want to share those experiences because these guys are put on a pedestal when they're on Sports Center highlights and plays of the week and MLB.com and the MLB network. And you see them doing their thing in the All-Star game and the World Series and the pennants and the rings and the sponsorships and the endorsements. But when you take all of those layers and peel them back, you just got a dude that loves to be in the duck blind. You got a guy that loves to be grilling on a Traeger and talking smack and telling stories. And that's what I, I think that when you really break down what we get to do, that's the key to it is that we get to see the nuts and bolts of these guys of who they really are. I don't, that sounds weird. We get to see the nuts of these guys. But <laughs> in we, the clubhouse. Yeah, in the clubhouse. But we really do get to see them on a different level, and it's humbling because they're just dudes. It, it, it's and it's funny when you think back how many of these guys are outdoorsmen you know i don't know if there's a correlation between baseball or, or you know where they live and or sports in general but it seems like you know like you said we went to the rockies and you know maybe you knew one guy on that squad but you didn't know charlie and you didn't know sam and you didn't know the coach but when they hear that you're there and and they come out and want to say hi to you and they want to talk hunting or they want to talk fishing or you know, uh, I believe it was Charlie says, you know, I got a pair of your waiters, you know, I only got to hunting them one time this year, you know, because unfortunately a lot of the baseball season kind of bleeds over into their, you know, hunting season. But he says, man, I wore them one time. They were great. You know? And, and I remember you were thinking, man, I hope this guy doesn't tell me he had a hole in his waiters or something like that. You know, (laughs) no, it's like, you know, he comes out and he's, he's just like one of us, you know, he, like he said, he wants to talk smack. He wants to talk about, you know, that fishing trip he went on or what he's doing, you know, this spring and, it, it, it really is just cool and and that common denominator that we've all been talking about for years is hunting you know or being in the outdoors even if it's fishing whatever it's it, it really is it's a special place to be and um yeah i mean i know not everybody's going to get to see that side of it but i think pretty much anybody that likes to hunt or fish or be outside could stand in our shoes and, and have probably the same kind of a story you know they don't have the platform for it yet but you know they would get the same experience if you've got that common bond with those guys yeah and i, th- I think that you know s- seizing that opportunity and i don't know i mean it's weird you, you tell me if i'm wrong but like you have a lot of people have the chance to meet an athlete or a celebrity and then is do you really have that bond or that that not engagement i'm looking for but i I guess just that common bond to where you can take it to the next level of actually being friends and and continuing conversation and getting to know somebody on a different level that's where i'm at with it is how does it happen so naturally to where we get the opportunity to say yes meet me here at this restaurant 
I'll be waiting for you. And we walk, and we walk up and George Brett's there and we have some margaritas with him and hear stories like that. And he cares about what we're doing too. He's into what we are. And then he sees how big John's muscles are. So he wants to have a flex down with him. And the next thing you know, we're getting a picture flexing with George Brett because he's just into the moment. He lo- he enjoys that too. He enjoys friends and, and us and the respect that we, and admiration that we have for him. So I don't know. I You can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like seizing that opportunity and taking it to the next level of a friendship to where now it's years, you know, that we get to experience that. And it's like, it's solidified. And maybe that's something to do with business sense, or maybe that's something to do with reading people or seeing an opportunity and say, no, I want to take this to the next level. Maybe that all goes into being a good networker, tying people together, being able to establish a friendship and follow through with it. But I think that a lot of people, like what you were touching on, they might be able to go in and like a meet and greet or a chance to get an autograph on a field. But to be able to get that genuine of an experience, to get that intimate with somebody on their level at spring training and have them take that much time and give it to us, I don't know. I, I, it just, it's, it's, it's a hard answer to come up to of why us? Why do we get that? And I just keep going back to the Mallard Duck because that's what really – gets us all of these opportunities, but there is something to be said about solidifying them and taking them to the next level, if that makes sense. No, it, it, yeah, it does for sure. And that's what, uh, you know, I kind of was trying to touch on earlier is that a lot of people could meet, you know, a guy like him or, you know, whatever. Um, but not a lot of people could make it into a friendship, which is, you know, what you guys have now, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a business relationship, you know, it's there nothing like that on the table. It's, it's a friendship. And I think back to that first year we met him and then, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of instantly became friends. You know what I mean? It was like, it was more than just going to meet some guy out in the parking lot. You know what I mean? He, he actually, I think had a genuine interest in, in, you know, us and you and what was going on. And, and, you know, he took it to the next level as much as, you know, you did. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a bond, you know, so that's, that's, what's really cool about it. And, and like I said, it's less about hunting and, and less about baseball. You know, it's just kind of a friendship. You know, it's really, it's actually really cool. It is. It's it's like we keep talk, touching on that, just the friendship. But it is. It's, hey, you know, when we come to Kansas City, we get to be around George. We get to go cook with him and we get to eat with him. We're going to go back there and do a podcast with him. I mean, to think that George Brett is going to come on This Life Ain't For Everybody and I'm going to get to sit there with, again, I'm not afraid to say it. He was my childhood hero. When I grew up, my first baseball team I ever was on in T-ball was, let's not say the year, Crosby, but it was the Royals. And when I started wearing that Royals hat, I think it's natural for a kid to like gravitate towards that team. And as close as we are to the Bay Area, the Giants and the A's or the Dodgers or the Angels or even the Mariners, I gravitated towards Kansas City and then my brothers. And you saw the the reaction when we showed that picture to Joe Randa and to George that night of Clinton Clay and I on the same team and all Royals blue and standing there like we were going to be major leaguers someday. And we, we gravitated towards the Royals. So we automatically started like, that was in the eighties. So it was George Brett. It was Bo Jackson. It was Brett Sabreg and Frank White, UL Washington, Dan Quisenberry. And I could go up and down the list of the guys that played for the Royals, but to, to know that this many years later, I'm going to, I might, and I hope because he did agree to it. You were there when he agreed to it. I'm going to have the chance to sit down and talk to George about that, that 1980 season when he was chasing Ted Williams record about 1985 when they won the world series and 
What about the three different hitting, you know, the hitting dominance in three different decades? You, you also have the, the infamous pine tar, you know, with Billy Martin and the Yankees, the pine tar incident when George come flying out of the third base dugout after he hit the bomb in Yankee Stadium. And then we got personal stories that he shared, you know, that I don't think he really wanted to share some of the stories that are on YouTube today, but he has no problem talking about them. So to know that this could evolve into 30 years later, whatever it is to be able to say, man, I'm sitting down with George Brett. That's a big deal. It's not a feat. It's not an accomplishment. It's humbling to be like, dude, I could be sitting there. And I already have, I've already got to sit. We sat at the coffee shop the other day with him and had a coffee and he made effort to come to us on our way out of town to sit down for an hour and just BS for a while on, you know, and say, bye, that's all it was for. And that's what I think. I, I, I'm glad that you came back to talking about that. He's actually going to be on this podcast because I, I mean, it's going to be truly unbelievable. And all the baseball stuff that you just mentioned is going to be great. But the reality is, is if he opens up the way that, like you said, he opened up in that coffee shop or at his house, those are the stories that America deserves to hear are the ones that he doesn't share on YouTube or sports center or, you know, anything like that. His personal stories, you know, his just the kind of life and antics that that guy has, because he is a dynamic personality. And when you have that dynamic personality, he has experienced just the the funniest, kookiest, you know, craziest things. And, and, you know, he's got a, a, you know, an unbelievable golf game now that brings him all over the world. You know, at that coffee shop, he's talking about, you know, what's your favorite golf courses to play? And it's like Pebble Beach, Spyglass and Augusta, you know, it's like three courses that normal people are never going to get to see. And yeah, you've heard a hundred people talk about him, but to hear George Brett talk about playing those kind of golf courses or winning his club championship, or like you said, the locker room with, you know, a, an 80 year old former baseball star and, and the funny things that they talk about in there. Those are the things that on this podcast are going to blow people away. Yeah. And I think that that, and I hope that he opens up like that because I think America wants to hear that because it's just too much of, you know, the, the contracts and the negotiations and the big endorsement deals and the millions of dollars and baseball players are paid too much. And I, I have different views. I don't want to get on what my views are on the money that athletes make, but I, I, I understand business and Hey, this is America. You, if you're good enough, if Mike Trout's good enough for the owners of the angels to go, Hey, we want to pay you $440 million for the next 12 years for you to stay in a California or Anaheim angels uniform. They haven't planned the merchandise they're going to sell, the seats and the asses that are going to fill those seats and the business that's going to take place over the next 12 years. They must know that it's going to pay off and have an ROI return on their investment. And it's a business. People can't look at it like my son's way better is just as good as Mike Trout. You know, you hear that we hear just heard the story of this little league deal. And there's just so many things that are out of whack to where. Well, there's people starving in the world. There's baseball players making this much money. It's all relative. It's business is business and it's free enterprise. And you can look at it how you want, but you think about the money part of baseball and you think the uh, the success that George has, well, it's no secret. Like you hear the story of Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson's worth like $750 million now, three quarters of a billion dollars. I think he made somewhere and don't quote me on this, but I would bet it was less than a hundred million, but I think it's more like 40 million or 38 million or something he made in his career. And I might be way off playing basketball. He made millions, but now he's worth like three quarters of a billion because of his theaters and his restaurants and his coffee shops and his ownership in the 
Dodgers and ownership in the Lakers and his jobs that he takes on on a daily basis. He's a businessman. He's an entrepreneur. And that's what George is. You heard of all the businesses that he's invested in and the teams and the things that he owns with his brothers and his family and the properties, his house in Arizona that we were able to go and, and have an after party at. Um, he's a businessman. So you look at it like in George's career, he retired in 90. The contracts were nowhere near what they are now. So he, to kudos to him to stay relative and to be such a phenomenon that the Royals say, Hey, we want you in the organization still. We're going to pay you to be in the organization still. He's got a full-time job with the Kansas city Royals, but he also has all these other side gigs, golf being one of them. And I'm not saying he's a professional golfer, but it sounds to me like he could be, you know, I don't know what George's age is. I have a pretty good idea. It would be on the senior PGA tour, but it sounds to me like he could potentially be a good enough athlete to do that too. And I hope he opens up and talks about, you know, what makes life go around because you're dead on when you say it, like baseball was a huge part of his life. But when you sit down and talk to him, you would never know that because he's got such a dynamic personality that you're like, man, I wouldn't trade this experience of hearing these stories in person for the world. I wouldn't like, I look back on that four days with George and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, that really just happened. It really just happened. It makes you stop, pump the brakes for a second and take a deep breath and go, I can't take this for granted. You can't take this life for granted that duck hunting and our ability to, to network has given us the, the chances and the opportunities to do that. And it's cool to share them with people to see the look on people's faces. Like, is Ned Yost really sitting in a dugout? Ned Yost was a stud baseball player. He's won the World Series as a manager. He's a badass human being. He's a hunter. I know Ned Yost because of our, well, first of all, his affiliation with the Royals, but the friendship is because of his love and passion for hunting in the outdoors and cooking and barbecuing. We sat in the third base dugout on the BP field with him for how long? Oh, yeah. And, it, and you know, it, I kept thinking back about Ned as it, he said it several times. Hey, I'm going to go get these guys started, but then I'll be back over there. You know, to think about a coach with what, 30 guys in front. I think he said he had cut 11 the night before or something like that. He's got 25 plus guys in front of him that he's actively watching and coaching and, you know, looking forward to this season coming up. And and all he's thinking about is coming back over and chatting with us. You know, there, there was, what, 30, 40 other people that were on the practice field, you know, spectators, media, whatever. And he wants to come hang out with us, you know, and he did, you know, like you said, several times. And then we sat in that dugout with him forever while, you know, his guys were taking BP and, you know, he's, he's doing his part watching the team, watching everybody. But at the same time, we're talking about deer hunting and we're talking about, like you said, barbecuing and, you know, having his Traeger on the back deck in, in Kansas waiting for him and all that stuff. And it, 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 it truly was a, you know, just a, a once in a lifetime you know, kind of experience there. And it, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And I think it says a lot of, of Ned's character too, to be, you know, very easily could get crossed up and say, Oh, I'll be back. But he came back every time and sat back down and like, you know, he understands that our, 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 our desire and need or not need, but want to be around him is authentic. And he wants to talk hunting. He wants to talk beer drinking. He wants to talk barbecue and Traeger and because that's, that's what his life is. Baseball is his job. And he is, you could tell in, in the way he approaches baseball, he's so passionate about it. He loves being out there. And, and the knowledge that he has about the game and the way he shares it with us about players and what he's looking for and how hard it was to make those cuts. But to learn that part of the business, like you watch the movie Major League when when Wesley Snipes' character gets cut. Shit, I've been cut already when they put the red <laughs> tag in his locker. You know, that's really happening. Maybe not to that extreme of a red tag, but they bring you in. And we want to learn that. We want to talk to him like, what is 
how, you know, you brought up a good point of getting Ned on a podcast and what is said in those meetings? What is the reaction by the players? Is there tears shed? Is, are there agents there? Do they have to get on a bus and report to AAA right away? Or, but then the other side of it is what about when that AAA or AA player gets the call by, from Ned and the, the Royals management, upper management says, hey, pack your bags and we're sending a flight. You're coming to Kauffman Field in Kansas City. You're starting Friday night or you'll, you'll be in center field for us, whatever. And, and so the, there's so many different sides of that game. And to be able to have friends like George Brett and Ned Yost and the guys that, you know, Ian, Ian Kennedy on the Royals. And there's been so many in the past, like Luke O'Shaver, who's a great friend that had an injury that ended his career. But, you know, you knew Luke. You met Luke several times. Those guys are just hunters that are playing baseball. They're not baseball players who hunt. They're hunters and outdoorsmen and family men that, that play baseball. They were gifted with the skill set to be a professional baseball player, but they're not defined by their skill set. They are hunters. They want to talk about the water and the dogs and the duck calls. They want to blow duck calls. It's almost like speaking a foreign language. Oh, I learned Italian. You go to Italy. Oh, well, guess what? They know you're American. They want to speak English, right? right. Well, you want to speak Italian. They're like, no, we want to speak English. And then they come here and you're like, oh, I'm going to get to practice my Italian. No, when they get here, they want to practice their English. And when you're bound to baseball player, you're like, how fast do you throw? How, how, how many different pitches do you have in your arsenal? What size bat do you have? What size cleats do you wear? What, what, what brand glove do you wear? Do you like, do you like to you know, field ground balls to your left or your backhand side? And they're like, I don't want to talk about baseball. That's just my job. Let's talk about the Ducks. How, how, how was your season? So you know, it all correlates back to don't define somebody by what you think they are. Get to know them like, man, I didn't know that Charlie Blackman was this well-spoken. I didn't know that Charlie Blackman knew how to cast the fly rod. I didn't know that Charlie Blackman loved to hunt. I didn't know that he was ingrained in the outdoors because you watch him play baseball and you're like, dude, that's like another version of Charlie Hustle. He's diving into home plate and stealing bases and hitting bombs and, and winning gold gloves in right field. And you define him because of his skill set. And you don't take the time to think that, man, this is just a normal dude. He's just a dude that plays baseball. And that's what George Brett is. He was a go-getter with a dynamic personality that probably could have done anything he wanted. And he just happened to be a good hitter from the left side of the plate that got, you know, he got drafted. And he wasn't a very, you know, he wasn't skilled. When he got drafted, he wasn't as good as he turned out to be. He'll tell, hopefully tell that story too on the podcast. But you can't define somebody by their skill set. You, you, you break down Ned Yost and what we got to experience with him. You're just like, man. What an experience to sit there and, and learn about a guy like that. And, and baseball was was it you know it was talked about, but it wasn't the main topic. Yeah, no, I, I and I think you just touched on something that I never really thought about. You know, is that baseball is just these guys' job. You know, and, and it, like you said, I you know you don't want to talk about you know getting sponsorships or you know the next you know piece of equipment that you're going to come out with or how you're going to you know make that tone board differently you know, you, you don't want to talk about work when you get off work. These guys don't want to talk about baseball when they're, you know, looking at a guy like you, you know, they want to talk about duck hunting or fishing or whatever. And, you know, I think that, uh, when you watch ESPN and you watch the news and you look at these guys that that's all you see, right. Is baseball. And I, I don't know the guy's name and you will, but the, I was intrigued by the head coach of the Rockies that we were chatting with that day, you know, and his background. Oh yeah. He's one of the best bud black. Yeah. And I mean, he, you know, to talk about, you know, he, he chose to, um, you know, retire from baseball and, you know, go, you know, pursue his career. And what was it like? Exercise oh, you're talking physiology. about home. You're talking about Holmes, the hit, the pitching coach. Pitching yeah. Coach, yeah. Yeah. And he's a genius. And you're like, Whoa, right. <laughs> it, it, he went and studied the body, the human body, and then came back to baseball, you know, to, to be the best pitching coach that he could be. And it's just, 
yeah, it's just, it's kind of weird. And it, that's the, the, the things that you don't see on TV. You don't see on ESPN, you know, I don't maybe that guy has told some other people that I'm sure he has, but to hear it firsthand and to, to kind of relate it back to, you know, like your brother Clint or whatever the people that want to become the best at what they're doing, they don't just stick to baseball. They don't just stick to duck hunting. You know what I mean? You've diversified yourself and you've learned many different things to become who you are. And it's interesting to hear a guy like that talk about his same, you know, path in life, different sport, different job, different, whatever, but the same kind of common denominator. That was a, that was an interesting half hour on that field. I thought. Oh, I did too. And then he took it to the next level, to where he was actually getting hired out by teams to come and consult on the physiology of the body, the biological makeup of the body, how to be get more out of your your skeleton and your muscle muscular skeleton skeleton. And I don't even know the words, but I'm like. And then I'm like, you know what? This is a better conversation for Clint. My brother has a master's in physical therapy. So I kind of introduced Clint and then they, they nerded out. Oh, on yeah. But then he ends up getting hired full-time by the, by the Rockies to come back in. And we want you to be our full-time pitching coach and bring all that expertise in here to the training staff and, and the medical trainers and the sports, the, the sports trainer, you know, the, the, the lifting and the fitness and all of the things that go into being a professional baseball player. Holmes has a lot to add to all of that. So yeah, it's like, you hear the term all the time, don't judge a book by its cover. And now all of a sudden you got this quote unquote jock, you know, in high school and revenge of the nerds movie, the jocks were the, the not smart guys. The nerds were the smart guys when the jocks were just sweaty guys that threw a football over a mountain, like uncle Rico. But in reality, these guys are, are smart. They're, they're, they're well-versed in business and life and networking and all of that. So to, to just, I, I get goosebumps thinking about our time with George Brett and to know that he's a friend and that when we go to Kansas City, we get to hang out with George Brett. And it's not uh, arrogance about it. It's not like we're sitting here going, oh yeah, this is, this is what we get to do. And you can't, George is just a good dude. And he's just, he's our buddy. He's our friend. And I'm humbled to, that we get to experience that at spring training every year. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to next year already. But that trip started off pretty cool too when I met you guys in Vegas. And we, another relationship because of the outdoors is Zach Brown and we get to go and experience something there he happened to be playing a concert outside of Vegas pretty much in between where we were landing and where we were heading in Phoenix we started the trip off by going to a Zach Brown band show and we had pretty good seats and we got to you know go backstage and hang with Zach and talk with him and say hello and again he's at work He's on the radio. He has to do radio interviews. He's got to do vocal warm-ups. He's got to do media. He's <clears throat> He's got to do his meet and greet. He's got other friends there that are probably more important than us, but he treated us like we were important, came out, stood in the circle, bullshitted, and talked, and then put us up in the front, and we got to experience a concert. And when he, the way he looked at Jerry Reynolds, he's like, oh, damn, you're a big man. <laughs> Jerry's 6'7", 360 pounds, played 10 years in the NFL, and he got to experience that concert. Because if it wasn't so windy that day, he was taking Zach fishing up on a lake close to that area. So that that was a cool experience to start the trip off. Oh yeah, it was awesome. And and you know, it's a nice uh, nice venue to see you know Zach at. And I mean, not not so crazy big that you couldn't enjoy it. And like you said, you know, to go backstage and and to have a few minutes and you know, again, not talk about music. You know what I mean? That's what's funny about it is you know people think that if you're going to go meet Zach Brown that you're going to want to hear about what's the next upcoming hit or what are you working on? And, you know, I've, heard, I've been to a bunch of concerts and things like that and meet and greets. And that's usually the line of questioning, right? What's next? What's the next album? You know, who's this, who's that? And I don't think we talked about music one time. You know, we, we talked about, it's funny. We talked about duck calls and, you know, going hunting. And, you know, like you said, Jerry had gone 
I don't know if scouting is the word in the fishing community, but had gone out and, and kind of looked at that lake and casted his rod a few times or, you know, whatever he did trying to hook up that fishing spot. And it, like you said, it didn't end up working out in the end, but we don't talk about music and it's just funny. And it, and it's something that is kind of cool to see and be a part of. And I guess I, I'll go back to that duck call thing. I laugh, you know, that you had all those, uh, those jargon calls with you and, how all those guys want a duck call. It just cracks me up. You know what I mean? It's like, you guys could have anything you want in the world, you know, and, and you want one of these duck calls. That's the the hunter's mentality. And I guess any kind of an outdoorsman, you know, you want to, you want that new cool thing, or you want to try that new product, or you just want to have a thousand calls like you yourself have, you know, I really kind of enjoyed that part of it. And we were kind of bagging on you for, for bringing all of them, but I, I don't think you came home with any of them. <laughs> no, I mean, I came home with a couple for photo ops, but um, they um, they have a, uh, a distinct way of starting a conversation and ending a conversation if somebody's annoyed with them. But when you get around people that are passionate about learning the communication of a duck call or, you know, the vocalizations of a wild duck and how we can recreate it, again, it's just one of those things that people are like, that's how Ian Kennedy is. He wants to blow duck calls. He wants to go out in the parking lot. You've seen it when we went to a couple of different golf courses and dinners with Ian. It always ends up back out in the parking lot working on a call or a different sound or whatever. So I don't. I, I didn't know that you guys laughed at me for bringing those. I didn't know that. I'm going to have to have a talk with the group to see. Well, well when you bring twenty of them, calls. Yeah, twenty of them, and you and you unpackage all of them and and try them all out and make sure that they're all dialed in. Yeah, we're going to snicker at you a little bit. Did it turn out to be a nice night in the suite? It did. What about what about that? What about what about El Dorado Resorts and Anthony Carano and what they did for us? Oh my God, Anthony, you were the man. But you know, El Dorado Resorts is all across the country now, 28 properties. And we got to experience one there at the Tropicana in Laughlin. Beautiful. The way they've redone the inside, the suites were nice. I mean, what about that room? Oh yeah, it was unbelievable. I, I guarantee they received a noise complaint when you were uh, practicing there. The duck calls? Yeah, yeah. Or my singing after the Zach Brown concert or before. A little, I mean, a little bit of both. I imagine they probably received complaints on both ends of that, but and maybe that's why they put us on the top floor so that you're not so annoying to everybody else around us. You don't think noise travels down? I don't think it travels down as much. I don't know. <laughs> Gravity doesn't pull noise? No, I don't think so. Well, but as far as like talent level goes, the reason I brought up the beginning of the trip is that you don't really understand how talented a musician is. You hear the CDs, you hear them on the radio, you might see a, a video on MTV back in the day, but until you stand there and watch, I mean, how talented is that band? Oh yeah, unbelievable. I would have never really known that Zach played a guitar the way he did. And I, I kind of look back at years and years ago, uh, you and I and, and um, Clint and Clay went and saw Willie Nelson. And maybe I'm naive to think that I didn't know that those guys played guitar like that. Usually when you when you have a lead singer, you know, you don't associate them with real guitar playing, you know. And Zach can pick that guitar, man. I, I never really knew that until, you know, we sat there, I guess, in the front row and watched him do it. it it's pretty amazing to, to be able to sing and play guitar that fast and that, you know, good. It's, it, it, it's amazing to watch. And like I said, I thought back to Willie years ago, I never knew Willie played like that. And Willie's a 10 Zach's a 10. I mean, what Zach does on his covers, you know, Zach, they're, they're an amazing cover band, but their originals and the number one hits they have, the Grammys they've won their tour, their, their, just the, the overall stage presence of what they do and the musicians they have in that band. I mean, I'm talking guys that were, you know, studied and graduated from the, you know, the Berkeley school of music in Boston 
Clay Cook, you know, he was roommates with John Mayer, you know, they're, they're friends. And, and then you have Coy Bowles and their whole percussion section. And then you have Jimmy on the violin is our buddy Brian was calling it, but the fiddle and then big John Hopkins, they just, they, they've been together for so long. I'm talking, you know, they've been together since the beginning. I think, I think Daniel, the, the bongo player is the newest uh, member of the band and he's been there like 10 or 12 years, but they've all been there since chicken fried came out when they were, when that song hit the radios and became a worldwide hit. And it just, that song elevated them, but their, their, their talent and what they do in music is, is their songwriting skills and their diversity is what I love. And you talk about being able to go from Queen Bohemian Rhapsody to Led Zeppelin to Pink Floyd to Charlie Daniels and having Jimmy rip the fiddle solos and then to their, you know, all of their hits, whether it's Colder Weather or Free or like we said, Chicken Fried or anything that they've done, you watch them live and you're just like, holy smokes, are they well put together. And that, 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 to kick off a trip that way, you're like, all right, this is, that's good enough. And then to go to Phoenix and get to do what we did there with George and Charlie and how cool, I just can't get off of how cool Charlie Blackman is though, to come out and be like, Hey man, I'll trade you a bat for a picture. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like it just blows your mind that they think like that when they, when they're accomplishing that stuff on a daily basis. And, and not a broken bat, right? That's the, what do you say? He had, he'd been hitting with it all spring and, uh, and, uh, you know, was having having good good luck with it in the spring and just pulled it right out of his bat bag and it's gone. You know, I he'd I mean, been using it since December first in all of his practice sessions and batting practice, and then took it into spring training, hit a bomb with it, and he hadn't broke a bat all spring. And he's like, "I'm gonna give you this one." Right. It, it, you know, he, he's probably got a hundred bats that he could give, but to give you the one out of his bat bag, you know, it's still got tape on it as I look. Well, over is there, there another yeah. way of looking at that though, Crosby? Like the faster I can sign this and get rid of this clown, <laughs> <laughs> I got I, this one right here, or I could have him follow me back to the clubhouse right. and have to be with him 10 more minutes. Right. I have to get this guy's address and then he's going to have my address. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And then he's going to, uh, I just don't want, you know, I just don't want, I, I don't want to be a stalker or a groupie. And that's the thing is that we're not, people might look at it and be like, Oh, these guys are groupies. We're not. We're just down there chilling, talking about hunting. And whether you want to admit it or not, it's happening. It's happening because of that correlation to the outdoors. And we were able to, you know, mature it and nurture these relationships into friendships. And who, if you went up to George Brett and go, hey, do you know Chad Belding or do you know Alex Crosby? It wouldn't be like, um... It'd be like, hell yeah, I know Chad. You know, and he brags about us. Yeah. He talks about, what about, you know, the guy, what, what happened when we, our first night there, before we even saw George, we were going to dinner with him after, but our first night we went to Scottsdale Stadium to watch the Giants play the Royals. And we get tapped on the shoulder from Bob. 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 And he's like, hey, are y'all uh, hunters? Yeah. And it, we're like, uh, we don't have any camo on. We're not blowing duck calls in the stands right now. How does he know we're hunters? And it comes out like you, you, you heard what he said. Oh yeah. He, he, you know, he, George had been telling everybody how we were coming into town and we were all going to hang out and old, old Bob had given George that wonderful restaurant recommendation, which we found out <laughs> later might've been a stretch of the truth, but, uh, no, yeah. And, and like you said, it, 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 I don't think we talk funny or differently than anybody else. And yeah, to, to be picked out, you know, by George's buddy, it's, it's funny, you know, it's a, it was a, it was a almost one of those moments where you go, wow, what a small town, but Phoenix and Scottsdale is nothing, <laughs> oh, it's spread out. nothing like a small town. And yeah, it's funny to come, come all the way back full circle and, and, uh, and meet with, uh, uh, those guys again at George's house. And remember, you know, Joe's son wants to come intern with you. And I mean, just another special moment there in Scottsdale where, where, you think back and, and you just, you just kind of reflect yeah, how does on that your happen? life and you're like, wow. Well, it's what? like, <laughs> uh, yeah, Joe might stop by at night and I'm like, all right, well, 
there's a lot of Joes in the world. It's like Joe Randon. I'm like, freaking, I know Joe Randon is. I mean, I knew Joe Randon is the third baseman on the Kansas City Royals and a freaking stud. And he, he kind of had that, uh, he had that Rocky Balboa slicked hair bag, Italian leather jacket off the field kind of attitude and was a stud on the field. And now all of a sudden, Joe and his girlfriend are standing in the kitchen going, Dude, our son is so into duck hunting. And then I could show you pictures of yesterday. I, I wake up, Joe's back in Kansas City. So at like four in the morning, our time, he's uh, he's texting me these pictures of his son with ducks right out in the marsh, blowing a duck call, doing it. And then he says, "Hey, got a package on the way to you." And I'm like. Oh, this is unreal, dude, because I've said, hey, Joe, I want to get a signed stick from you to put in the man cave, to put in the studio, whatever. And it, it, it'll be a friendship now. And we go back to Kansas City, we'll get to hang out with Joe Randon. Not because we he's a badass baseball player. Who cares that he played in the major leagues? He doesn't hunt, but his son does. And if we can be good to him and show him that we care about his son getting into the outdoors and experiencing it the right way, then so be it. And, and we get to experience him down in 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 Phoenix and in Kansas City and baseball and all that, it's a give and take. I get that part of it, but we're just standing in the kitchen and Joe Randa walks in and an hour and a half later, we're all hugging saying, can't wait to see you again. That's cool to me. That's just, that's because it wasn't fake. It wasn't freaking phony. It wasn't like, hey, let's go through the motions and say that you're an okay baseball player and I followed your career. I really know Joe Randa and I got down in the weeds with his, his wife was a good business mind and I got down in the weeds with her about business and her approach and then and then it went to me being single and how she was going to set me up with some friends and that that I look too young, that I that I date too young. <laughs> and so, I mean, it was just, a, it was one of those nights to where how much better could life get? I mean, how could, it, and we don't take it for granted. I know that there's way more important things in life in everyday life family kids everything that goes into the everyday hustle and bustle of life but to be able to experience that for a few days and to have our good core of friends there you and clint and clay and john Kerry and our new boy ryan and 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 to know that we get to do that again we don't take it for granted and maybe next year doesn't happen because anything can happen in life and that's why it's so good to capitalize on an opportunity and be like Dude, we just had margaritas, multiple margaritas with George Brett. Homemade. And George Brett made us homemade margaritas with crystal light that he bragged about for hours and then goes, Chadley, I need to see. He calls me Chadley. I need to see you. And I go out and I'm like, what do you need to see me for? And he's like, oh, I need you to carry the ice. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm like, this is seems this like too, a one-man job. It seems okay. like a one-man job. But that's like me. It's like, hey, I need somebody to help me turn on the grill. But I want to be there. Just to make sure I, that I was, but you, man, that was an unreal trip. You skipped over something that I think is fun. Maybe you not skipped it over. I don't even know if you heard it, but Joe made kind of a statement. He said, you know, my, my son, you know, I obviously played baseball for X number of years and, you know, professional and all my son wants to do is hunt and fish. You know, I'm not going to say he was disappointed, but it's kind of funny to hear that. You know, he's, he doesn't have that connection with his son because he said, you know, I've never really hunted before, you know, I, but that's all my kid wants to do. You know, he doesn't want to play baseball. He, he's 19 or 20 years old and he only wants to be out in the field hunting and he gets up every morning and he, you know, he's, and he said it, you know, just like this, he gets up, you know, three 30 in the morning and he's got to be at the spot first and he's got to throw all his decoys out in a certain way. And, you know, he's got to, you know, blow his call like this and like that. And it, it was just kind of funny to sit there and, and his, he's so proud of his son and, you know, wants him to intern with you and all that stuff. And almost in the same breath, it's like, you know, he's not a baseball player. He's a hunter. And, it, you know, it, it was just great to see, man. It was like a 
you know, it was one of those moments where I think his dad was super proud and, you know, also kind of learning a little bit, you know, he's, he's getting into what his kids into and, and maybe one day you guys will go hunting together and you can show him that other side of it. What his son loves so much about it. I don't know. It's just kind of a cool experience. No, it is. And I think that it's cool that a baseball player, I don't know, maybe it's a premature thought to think that, Oh, I was a stud ball player. My son's going to be because man, I, I felt that I was a good baseball player. And then when I hear a story like I did today about the little league experience, my brother had, I'm just like, I'm kind of happy that I don't have a son that I really wanted to follow. And by no means am I like saying that I was a stud baseball player, but I was pretty good. And I don't, and so, and Clay was a stud and now Chase is a stud. And you're just like, man, just the way people are about sports these days. I'm kind of glad that I, that it's refreshing to be around Alyssa and having her go to volleyball and love to hit the ball and have it bounce off her head once in a while, you know, and, and see the fun side of sports. And because we grew up so geared and so programmed to win and be competitive with three brothers in the house and to know that Randa can go, man, my son doesn't, he's not playing ball. He's a hunter. He wants to be in the outdoors. He wants to work in the outdoor industry. He wants to learn the steps. And I'm like, well, send him up. Let's talk. Let's see what he wants to do. And he's, he's already written me multiple messages. Joe has about how thankful he is for that upcoming opportunity. And I think that that is saying a lot. And people will be like, well, you're giving him something that you don't give to everybody else. No, it just came out of becoming friends with somebody over an opportunity. We met Joe Randa and we became buddies. And I, I think it's a badass way to live of being able to establish a friendship. And I, and I understand life now. Going into my 40s, I was like, man, I, people aren't my friends anymore. And it's natural, dude. People come in and out of your life and you can't sit there and dwell on it. It doesn't mean it's a bridge, a bridge burnt. It doesn't mean that somebody screwed somebody over. It doesn't mean any of that. And uh, I have the tendency to really hamper down and think about it too much. Like, man, why isn't he in my life? And really you should just be like, who gives a shit? It's, you can't control the way people are all the time. You can't control the way people think, the way their minds or their psyche is made up or the way their psyche works. You just have to keep doing you and being you, stay focused, stay in your lane. And new people come into your life. It doesn't mean that your old friends are gone for good. I've learned this through my godfather, Lauren Bigliere. I've learned it through Dave Stanley being on the podcast. He's 60 now. And he's like, man, I, I don't talk to people that I would fish with every day for 10 years. It's just how life is. It evolves. Yep. And now at this age, I'm friends with a different group of people. Still have ties and are friends with the other people, but I might not talk to them as much. It's almost like as you mature in a life and you really figure out who you are and what your threads are and what your makeup is, that's who you're going to attract. And that's who you're going to, you know, be long-term friends with for those, for those, you know, those years of life that are going towards midlife and then old man life and then death. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll have a whole new group of friends when I'm 65. If I live that long, who knows? I don't know. Maybe I'll take up golf and I'll be in a country club and I'll be friends with all them guys. I hope not. But I, I, I hope that I'm still hunting and going to spring training. and Not and, in a retirement community? Not, playing bocce ball? Arts and crafts time is over. I'll Bingo. Give you, I'll give you a nice cup of shut the hell up. <laughs> that, that was uh, Ben Stiller's uh, character in, remember Happy Gilmore? Oh, yeah. And I'm like... That dude's making money off the senior citizens. They're your, making all these words. <laughs> your fingers hurt? Well, now your back's going to hurt because you just drew landscaping duties. <laughs> dude, Ben Stiller, I don't know what happened to him. I think he made too many movies too fast. You know, like, I think he's only made one movie in the last two or three years. I think it was... Uh, the second part of, what's it called? The model movie? Is that Ben Stiller? Yeah, Zoolander. Zoolander. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if that was a flop or what, but you remember that there was like dodgeball that whole time period in his life. And, and he was oh. making, he was making like a movie every month. Meet the Fockers. And maybe, oh yeah, I, I don't know if he burnt out or what, but he doesn't seem to be around, but that, that could be my favorite character he ever played. But one of the best scenes that he was ever in was in meet the Fockers when they first go to his fiance's ex-boyfriend's house played by Owen Wilson. <laughs> If you whittled this out of one piece of wood. <laughs> Jesus Christ was a carpenter. I, I figured who's better footsteps to follow in. And then he's still got his pictures of him and her and all the ski resorts and the, the vacations. And you're just like, man, that is, that's real. That's real. That movie was one of those movies that made you feel bad for Ben Stiller. Like you sat there and watched his character and you went, oh my God, this guy. Like you, you I genuinely felt bad for him, dude. Like it just over and over and over. The poor dude's getting kicked in the nuts. I don't remember exactly how it went, but in the car with Robert De Niro when he's like, when he puffed the magic oh. dragon and he thinks he's a pothead, you know, and he thinks he smokes weed. And then when they go to visit Owen Wilson and they're in the pool playing volleyball and Robert De Niro's having the little speech with his team, he's like, can anybody spike it? And Ben Steeler goes, I think I can get that high. And Robert De Niro goes, I bet you do Panama red. Exactly. <laughs> Puff the magic dragon. He's talking about his pet dragon, Greg. What, what did you think he was talking about? Yeah, that movie was well done. I, I really, I thought that that was good, but, uh, Anyway, I think that, you know, having that bond in that trip, I wanted to start this off because, man, I was just like, man, I want to talk to somebody about how awesome that trip truly was. I've gotten a few texts from John Kerry about like, dude, I can't believe what we just experienced. We can't take it for granted. Of course, life goes on and new experiences have already happened since we got back. But to know that we're going to get to go. And that's the problem with doing something like that is. I don't want to be like looking so forward to next spring that this whole year passes me by. It's not like that. You just keep filling it up with memories and stories and adding to, you know, that overall thing that we call life and living it every day with, with, you know, just freedom and fun and, and, and networking and, and, and breaking down walls and kicking in doors and opening up opportunities. And I get to go this weekend. I'm going down to California and I get to meet with the California Waterfowl Association. I get to have dinner with Corning Ford. I get to go hang out with Rocky Merlot. I got the owners and the founders of Gator Coolers flying in from Louisiana to hunt and hopefully harvest their first turkeys, a Rio Grande around the, you know, around the Sacramento River. So that could be an unbelievable weekend again. And that is all because of a mallard duck. I know Rocky and the CWA and the Fifth Street Steakhouse in Chico and Corning Ford and the Gator Boys in Louisiana, all because of a mallard duck. And the ability to say, hey, this is cool. Let's be friends. We have so, so much in common. Really? What do we have in common? I don't like Guns N' Roses. I don't, I don't, like, I don't like you that much, Chad, but you like, you like Mallard Duck, so let's be friends. <laughs> let's funny. be friends. I, I, I wanted to go back just for a second because one of the hardest parts about having a trip like that, at, at least for me, is like, do, do you feel like you're bragging when you get home? Like my dad was asking me last name, night, name dropper, right. you name dropper. My dad's like, I was just telling somebody about how you had dinner with George Brett and my mind goes to, Oh, great. You know, now this guy's going to think I'm like some kind of a jerk, you know what I mean? Or whatever I'm bragging, you know, but it, 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 so it's funny, you know, we've been texting back and forth and like you said, sharing little memories and Clint and Clay and I have been doing the same thing and you're doing it with John. It's like, we feel comfortable, you know, having that, you know, I'm not trying to big league anybody that was sitting there and I'm not trying to big league anybody in life, but that is kind of what's funny about going on an epic trip like that is you don't want to come home and gloat about it. So I've been kind of, you know, dampering my excitement for what we really went through, you know, and, and but doesn't that suck? That's it not does. cool. It sucks. That's well, Joey Gilbert it said sucks. it all. Joey Gilbert, you know, we've known Joey for years, but he said it to me. He goes, dude, 
I would come back, you know, and he was a champion of the world. I mean, he was hanging out with Sylvester Stallone and Sugar Ray Leonard and all these movie stars and going overseas to our troops. And he'd come back and he'd be at a little local dinner here in in Reno. And he'd be like, so Joey, what'd you do this weekend? And he's like, ah, you know, let's, I don't, let's just pass it on to the next person. Let's just hear about that. Because as soon as he goes, well, I went to a party at Sylvester Stallone's house. And then I went to Iraq and I spoke to our troops. And then we went over and jumped over to Afghanistan. People are going to be like, oh, you big leaguer. Exactly. And you can't, you, you're damned if you do. And you're damned if you don't. So that's the thing is like, think about that. Like you're, what you said is so real is like, I don't know if I want the attention on me. Don't ask me what I've been doing because you're going to think I'm a name drop. Or do you really want me to lie? Do you want me to say, Oh, not much. My life's, you know, I, I just been hanging out saw a couple ball games. Is that suffice? Or do they really want to pull out the truth? Or are they going to talk behind your back? If you don't tell them, um, yeah, I had some margaritas with George Brett and then, you know, Joe Rand, his wife put his hands, her hands on my face and said, Oh my God, I'm so happy that you're going to do this. And they're going to be like, no, it's you either tell the truth or you just don't say anything at all. So you you really are. It's a tough position to be in, in my opinion, which it's not drama. It's not the end of the world, but you want to be able to, you know, share those experiences. Like you think about somebody like Joe Rogan, he's on a podcast all the time. He's not going to sit there and just be like, oh yeah, I was at a UFC fight. He's going to really get down in the weeds and be like, yeah, I was talking to Nate Diaz after the fight. He's not name dropping. That's what he does. That's who he is. Right. It wouldn't be as authentic or as real of a story and hopefully people don't think that we're making it up that we got to hang with George Brett. And maybe people don't give a shit that we got to hang with George Brett. But the ones that do, the ones that understand baseball and what George Brett means to it, I sent you that video last night. That new that new show or that third season of that show on IFC is coming up and George is on it. And I'm like, how cool, how cool is it that George Brett is on this TV show coming up? He didn't even mention it to us, but we're having dinner with the guy that's I mean did you see the other actors and actresses that are on that? J.K. Simmons, that guy's won Oscars. And George Brett's acting on that show with those guys. Right. And I'm like, dude, that's our buddy. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, and he like, and he probably feels the same way, right? That's like a common thread. Like, he doesn't want to sit around and tell us how he's filming a TV show or do, you know what I mean? Like, he probably feels that same emotion that we feel. It's, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You know, should you talk about how great your life's going or should you tone it down and be, you know meek about it i don't know it's funny but i i, I wanted to talk about that because i kind of been feeling that way for the last week that's what is your dad a george brett fan oh yeah what did he think of it oh he, he well he knew you know i was obviously talking to him when i was there you know but as as the as the stories or whatever kind of get out to his group of friends you know and my brother nick was the same way nick nick texts me i guess some one of the ladies in his office is a huge george brett fan you know and, and he had said you know that we were there and hanging out and she just couldn't believe it and you know so i texted him a picture of us at dinner that night you know and he showed it to her and she's just like get that you know out of here i cannot believe that so she probably there didn't, she that. probably didn't believe him at the beginning right right yeah here's here's our boy revilio you know he he has he owns the pine tar bat rick revilio's sports memorabilia collection is on a different level it's unbelievable and so I sent him that picture of the flex down with Randa and with and look at what he wrote. Flipping classic. <laughs> Flipping classic. <laughs> and he's a huge George Brett fan. Yeah. And I'm like, Ricky, let's go down there. Let's get him to sign that bat. And you know how Ricky is. He's like, ah, I just don't want to be in the limelight. And I'm like, limelight? I asked him to come on this podcast. And he's like, I just, he's got some amazing guests coming up for me that he's helping me facilitate. But I want to sit down and talk with Ricky. I sent him that picture like, dude, let's go hang out and freaking go experience. And he's just like, man, I just like, I'm like, dude, you're like the most motivational dude in the guy in this country, in this city for sure. You get up and speak in front of hundreds of people, thousands of people at a time. 
and you won't come on the podcast. Right. Maybe so, maybe he'll let us borrow that pine tar bat. I don't know if he would. <laughs> I would. It would never get back. I, I don't think George would give it back. No. He'd probably break it over his knee. Dude, I love PTSD on the deal and just start going nuts when he saw it. When oh he my uh, God. when he told us that story, he said, you know, that, that Goose later in life told him he tried to hit him, but he says, Man, I tomahawked that ball. It's just just a just to hear him relive he's probably told that story a million times and it but it was it was it was funny to hear it you know what i mean and, and unprovoked kind of a deal you know but just to hear i tomahawk that ball right out you know and these, then i'm sitting in the dugout and i'm wondering why schmitty's holding my bat you know <laughs> just funny <dude. laughs> billy martin wasn't there right oh yeah that i i want to get him on the i i hope that we follow through and get to go sit down with him but let's talk about what you got going currently in life. You've been all over business in the Reno area through plumbing, heating, home building. You worked with us for several years. You still help us out on many fronts. And then you went to the transportation and automotive industry. Um, and now you are venturing into a new, I guess, a new venture with a guy that's you know proven here that's got a great reputation in the restaurant industry, the food industry, the catering industry, and in this part of Nevada. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to say his name. Um, are we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do we call him? Pinocchio? Pinocchio. JP Pinocchio. But you and JP are venturing in. You guys have purchased with another partner, the Tahoe Creamery Ice Cream Company that was so popular for so many years and kind of fell off the map. But you guys are bringing it back, and now you can say that you are an ice cream man. You, you're, you're that ice cream man, the ice cream truck. You, Eddie Murphy saying, "I got some ice cream. I got some ice. Want to lick? Psych." <laughs> you run up to them. You're so out of breath. I take a missile pop. I take, I take, I take a double scoop of the mint chai. But now you're sprinkles. an ice sprinkle. You're an ice cream guy. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy to think about. You know how how yeah life comes around and um. There's another guy, Danny, that uh, Danny's involved in the company, and it's kind of Danny's um, brainchild, if you will. He was um, he was at a dairy here for many, many years, and they actually distributed the original Tahoe Creamery, um, which, like you kind of touched on eight or nine years ago, they um, they decided to uh, stop producing ice cream, um, and so yeah, we picked it up here two years ago, and. Um, picked up really, really from those guys. We just, we just got the name. Um, they had been out for so long that there was no more equipment or anything like that. We, um, so we came up with our own recipes and, and redid the packaging and, um, you know, kind of gave a new fresh look to uh, Tahoe Creamery, which definitely had a good reputation in our market. Um, and it's just a great name. You know, that's what we really wanted to take from this is, you know, Tahoe's considered the eighth wonder of the world and we're lucky enough to have it in our backyard. Um, and it's, but it is known around the world, you know, for what it is, a really truly special place. And so, uh, we, we wanted that Tahoe creamery name and, um, we were able to get it from those guys, you know, Garrett's the guy that used to own the company. He's a great guy. Um, he had a lot of passion for ice cream, but he's a, he's an attorney and, and he's a motivational speaker and, um, I don't know all the details of, of what he does, but he is um, somehow affiliated with the rich dad, poor dad, and that whole deal. So he had a, a different path in life, and he, he he closed his ice cream company. And here we are, you know, 10 years later, we started it back up. Um, and, yeah, it's been 
been going really well. Uh, just kind of getting it off the ground. You know, you'll, you know, better than anybody, a startup business. Um, it's got its ups, it's downs. Anybody that's never done it before you, you take for granted the fact that your company gets you business cards. You know what I mean? When you start your own deal, you make your own business cards and you get your own website built and you get your own phone number and it just, just a million little things that, that you don't really think about until you actually go into business for yourself. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, but it's been good so far and, and we're actually getting some really good traction in our area. You know, obviously we've got big plans to, to be all over, but we really want to saturate, saturate the Reno Tahoe. When you, know, you say all market. over, you're talking, you want this to be a national brand now? Yeah. You know, we, we, we've kind of set a goal. We'd like to be in, in at least six of the Western States, you know, within the next, um, five years, which we're already in Nevada and parts of California, you know, the parts that are around Tahoe, but you know, we want to be Southern California. And so that doesn't sound that hard to me. So tell me why, when you say 60 months to get six States and you already have two of them, you're adding four States in five years. Is it, is it a monopoly? Is it hard to get placement? Is it hard to get, I mean, ice creams everywhere. You got delicacy shops, you got hotel lobbies, you got, you know, gift shops and casinos. You have stores you have mini marts you have free you got ice cream stuff that you can you know reach in and grab it out of an ampm or a 7-eleven like is it you is it hard to go in there and say hey we want to compete with haagen or some of the bigger names that that what is the big one the two the two guys in ben New and York? jerry ben and jerry i was going to say tom and jerry i'm like that sounds like a cartoon <laughs> but why is that a, is that too much to ask to get six states in or in five years or are you guys just kind of playing playing possum a little bit no i think that i mean the product is is good enough to be in 50 states but logistics and manufacturing are what are going to be the two biggest hurdles you know what i mean it is a uh it's frozen product so you know you're talking freezer trailers and things like that that um you know when you start to look at states outside of our area, you know, you need to sell a lot of ice cream to send a freezer truck to them, you know, where I can, you know, I can send a truck up to North Lake Tahoe, you know, tomorrow to drop off, you know, 10 bundles. But when you're talking, you need to get eight pallets down to Arizona, you know, you've got to have some pretty good clients to, uh, to facilitate orders like that. So, um, definitely it's not, like you said, it, it, it's not hard to do. It's a, it's just going to be figuring all that out. You know, we're, we're starting all this fresh. So we've got to figure out is do, do you, when you want to go to Arizona, does that mean we need to open another plant, you know, that makes ice cream there or are we shipping it? Are we buying freezer trucks? Are we going to get partnered up with a, a company that'll do all the shipping for us? You know, those are the, the avenues and things that we've got to navigate right now and figure out how we do that. So it's, uh, it's not the it's not the hardest thing in the world for sure, but there's a lot of things to figure out with it. So, on the the packaging is really cool to me because there's they're they're kind of broken up into different landscapes. You show campfire cookies and cream, which has you know it looks like the Sierra Mountains with a campground with some tents and a fire, and then you have the trucky. This is my favorite flavor, by the way. This is the bomb. It's called Truckee Coffee Toffee. That looks like old school Truckee, which yeah. Truckee, California, in the Sierra Mountains, which is <clears throat> getting more snow mm-hmm. as we speak. Strawberry Slopes Forever, you mix in a ski lift, which Tahoe's known for, whether it's Mount Rose or Heavenly or North Star, some of the world-class skiing, you know, Squaw Valley had the Olympics there. So it's, it's a personal brand to you guys because it is in your backyard, but 
as far as the flavors go, first off on the packaging, there's 1644 says tastes like vacation. What does that mean? So 1644 is the depth of Lake Tahoe. So it's 1644 feet deep. Um, and then it tastes like vacation. You know, we want, you know, your memory to, to kind of, to go back to, you know, a summer day at camp Richards or something like that and having an ice cream cone or wherever it is, you know, it's just, you want that positive thought of, you know, that tasty, sweet treat. Um, and then I skipped over, but so 1644, we've got a little tagline that says our flavors run deep. Um, Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. So, and that was kind of part of our separating ourselves from, um, you know, the original brand there, you know, we wanted to have our own kind of tagline or, um, you know, branding tool, you know, so we wanted to have that little mark in there that shows, you know, something we can play off of marketing wise, you know, so the, the flavors run deep and, you know, having that little 1644 splashed around in some of our, you know, ads and, and on the website and social media and stuff like that, you know, so just kind of a cool little number to throw out there, I guess. So when, with a ice cream's ice cream, right? Like you go anywhere in the world and you get ice cream that tastes good. Like I, I'm playing the devil's advocate, right? You, you could associate that with any kind of food. You know, you could cook on this barbecue or this grill and you're going to get a steak that's, you know, edible and worthy of eating. Yeah, sure. Of course you, ice cream is one of those things that is known as a tasty treat. And it's, I, I don't even know where you start with numbers wise of sales accumulated in America, let alone the world. But I know it's a multi-billion dollar corporation yearly. It's got to be with, I mean, there's this rest, this place that just got to Reno Sparks is a, uh, you, you go in and pick a brownie or a cookie and they put the ice cream in the middle of it, make you your own ice cream sandwich. You know, there's a lot of potential to get this brand in a lot of places like that. You might even have your own storefront someday that are set up at retail to go in. Don't know if you're going to be dealer direct or if you're going to, you know, support your dealers under percent and never go into storefronts. But it's easy to say ice cream's ice cream. You can make cookies and cream. They all taste the same. Ben and Jerry's, the Hagen dazs all of them. But are you guys particular with your ingredients? Are you particular with your approach to the way Americans are eating now? Even though we do live in a junk food society, there is a lot of, of organic going on right now, grass-fed going on right now, living off the land right now, um, having real wholesome ingredients in our, in our ice cream or in our foods that we eat. So are you guys keeping that in mind or are you just going through the motions and coming out with just another another vanilla, another cookies and cream, or is your strawberries actually have some authentic authenticity to it? No. Yeah. And so we are a small batch ice cream company. So I've never personally gone to, you know, a dryers or a Ben and Jerry's, but, um, you're talking about multiple lines of production running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, they load their ice cream mix up onto the roof with pump trucks. You know what I mean? They're, they're running big league ice cream companies. We are doing small batch ice cream. So, um, you know, that, that, and then not to get too nerdy on you, uh, we do a 14% butter fat mix and we use 80, 80% overrun, which overrun is the air that's injected into ice cream so the more air you put into it um it's perceived as a lower quality ice cream so if you do 100 percent overrun you get much more ice cream out of your mix because you're injecting air into it so we put less air higher butter fat that's how we become a premium ice cream so they have a somebody out there's got a standard that says what's a regular ice cream what's a premium ice cream and there's a few super premium ice creams or 
something like that. Um, so we are a premium ice cream. Um, we do use only the best ingredients, um, which also helps you become a premium ice cream. Um, so, and then it's, it's not made, you know, by no offense, but it's not made in a factory, you know, somewhere and shipped all over the world. We're making it right here in, in Carson, Nevada, which is right outside of Reno, Nevada, um, in small batches. So I personally actually make the ice cream with Danny and a couple other people, uh, Danny and JP came up with these recipes. You know, these aren't canned recipes or anything like that. Um, we pay particular close attention to the inclusions. They call them, like you said, the strawberries. So fresh strawberries, blueberries, uh, we use score, uh, toffee in our coffee, toffee oh, ice cream. I love that candy bar. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it is, um, it is not just another cookie cutter ice cream. It is not, um, do you have to license score? Do you have to go to them and say, "Do you mind?" How does that work? I don't know. I probably just made a little mistake there on the air. We don't. We don't. Uh, we don't advertise that it is, but that is what it is. Um, we can cut that part out. Nah, you can leave it. I don't care. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that is a question, though. Let's keep that thought because when you go into an ice cream place and they offer M and M's on as a topping, or you go to this place that's a you know this place these put the yogurt in the cup and then go through your buffet of toppings. I don't know what they're called, but <clears throat> they're all brand names. I take my daughter in there and you got, you know, it doesn't matter what Reese's pieces, the M&Ms, the, all of them. Right. So I'm wondering if there's like, does M&Ms care that do you have, do you just go to Costco and buy a big bag of M&Ms and put it? I wonder how that works. It's a, it's a weird, it's a kind of a cool question when it comes to licensing. And I thought about that, you know, um, the same thing, you know, when we're talking about like the score toffee pieces, like, Maybe if you wanted to use their logo or something, if we wanted to say that that's what was in there to maybe give us a little bit of a, a, a step ahead maybe of everybody you else, you'd probably have but to But all go those places them. are. Right, yeah. I, we you don't. Would, you know, if you look at our stuff, it doesn't say it, but, I mean, that's what's in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, you it, would think that if a kid goes in there and puts M&Ms on his yogurt and then goes out in the car and his mom hits a speed bump and one goes down his throat and chokes him. And then they're like, my son choked on M&Ms from this yogurt place. M&Ms would want to know that they were at least knew that they were in that place. Right. Well, yeah, think about it. I wonder how that works. Yeah. I wonder if there's relationships like all that, that they have to go get M&Ms permission to put them in there. Might be like on a corporate Maybe level. I'm thinking it, overthinking it too much. Maybe you should just enjoy your uh, yogurt cup. <laughs> <laughs> too, too many calories, dude. Well, plus I eat nothing but Tahoe cream. Right, right. And okay, go back to what you're saying. So as far as like the ingredients that are in here, you, you said you got the strawberries, the blueberries, the fresh fruits, the, 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 the candies that go into it. As far as the taste goes, this stuff is exceptional. Is that because of the butter and the fat content that's into it? Yeah, and, and that overrun. Um, so the butter fat and the overrun is what makes a rich and creamy ice cream, which, you know, if you have a ice cream's like pizza, you know, there's good ice cream and there's great ice cream, you know, so good ice cream is just, uh, it's like a 12% or a 10% butter fat. And they usually do like a hundred or, or, um, close to overrun cause they want to maximize their profit. You know what I mean? If, if you buy a five gallon, uh, you know, container of mix, and you push a hundred percent overrun into it, you're going to get more ice cream out of it. You know, more ice cream, more sales. So they're, they're maximizing their profit. Um, same with the amount of inclusions that they put in it. So when they add their strawberries to it, they might be happy with one strawberry, you know, every other bite where we want you to get a strawberry on every bite, you know, so we want to put more inclusions into our ice cream. It's funny when you, when we weigh 
So we do restaurant tubs and we, you know, obviously do these pint ice creams, but when we weigh our restaurant tubs, a three gallon tub of ice cream weighs over 15 pounds. If you pick up somebody else's, they're usually like in the 11 to 12 pound range that goes with, like I said, less air into the mixture and more inclusions. You know, you want that, you want that piece of strawberry in there and you want that rich, creamy ice cream. We don't want to, you know, we're, we're, we're less concerned with making another 15 cents on the deal. We want you to have what we think is the best ice cream out there. And when you start talking about the competition, if you knock out the, the, that part that we just discussed in business is if you have a product that's unique, original ice cream's hard to make original, but the ingredients, your, your, the way that you're keeping it small batch, the way that it is premium, the, um, and again, the, the, the additions and the implementations that you're making to the different flavors. Now it's all about what, what is so important in business is sales and marketing, right? So how do you create a demand when there's so many choices, right? In business. And this is what, where I'm intrigued with this is like, how does somebody with your skill set in business, which you have a very strong skill set with people, sense of humor, networking, storytelling, sales, creating a common bond with somebody of being able to go into somebody's office and go, oh, there's a picture of him on a surfboard. Well, today I'm going to talk about Kelly Slater, what, whatever. That's what good salesmen can do, right? Your skill set's unique and it's, it's, it's powerful to get into something that has so much risk, in my opinion, of somebody being able to go in and from the local dairy here that has their own to the national brands that are considered iconic. Now, there's there's brands out there in the ice cream business that are truly iconic brands. You got 31 Flavors. You got Ben & Jerry's. You, yeah, Ben & Jerry's. You got Haagen-Dazs. You got... There's more than that. Oh, yeah. So how are you going to set yourselves apart? And there's always that there's always that mindset of a businessman, and I get it. We don't need it all. We just need the percentage of what mm-hmm. Haagen-Dazs is doing, what these guys do. When you're talking multi-billion dollar yearly sales and revenue generated through ice cream sales or ice cream style desserts whether it's cakes or ice cream sandwiches or pints or gallons or whatever we're selling. I just want a little piece of that, but you still got to go to the customer and say, one, I want you to put this in your casino. I want you to put this in your store. I want you to make this readily available to your customer base. And two, now you got to go and make sure that that cash register is ringing. When you have take on the responsibility of putting it in those locations, how are you going to get me to go in there and go Tahoe creamery, Haagen-Dazs, I'm going to go with the one that I've heard about for years. It might be a dollar more. It might be a dollar less, but how are you going to do that? What's your plan? What, how are you going to build this brand? It, so we're going, we're going, uh, old school, traditional. And, and I think you'll appreciate this because you, you do this as well as we're going to kill them with great customer service. And, um, you know, that is part of this, this fledgling, you know, deal here is that I'm out beating the street, you know, just, uh, every single person I know getting meetings and appointments, you know, that's part of what we want to do is saturate the Reno Tahoe area. And that's something that I can do just based on the years of relationships and things like that, that I've got here, you know, I can at least get that meeting. And I know that nobody listening to this can taste the ice cream, but I've yet to have anybody tell me that it's not good ice cream. And most people will tell you it's the best that they've ever had, whether they're blowing smoke up my skirt or not, that's fine. As, as long as I don't get negative feedback on it, which I've yet to have, um, you know, I, I can do it. You know, I can get that meeting. I can get five minutes with them. I go do tastings with all the, uh, 
you know, like you said, the, the El Dorado properties and, and, you know, all the various resorts and restaurants around town, I get them, I go meet with them, I taste with them, I explain, you know, what the process is in making our ice cream and talking about premium ice cream and things like that. And, um, you know, we're able to get it that way. Going back to what you said earlier, how do we get these other four states that we want? Because I don't know anyone in Arizona. I don't know anyone. Um, it, it's going to grow hopefully organically with some key placements that we have. Um, you know, in April, we'll be in all the Rayleigh's in Northern Nevada. And shortly after that, we're going to be in all the Rayleigh's in Northern California. And I think that motion creates emotion, you know, that hopefully when people see that we're in, we're, we're actually in the freezer schematics of all these Rayleigh's, they're going to want them in their different stores. And as you can grow it like that, then we just have to follow through with, like I said, great customer service. We're going to make sure that we do tastings at the stores. We've got a uh, event trailer that we can bring out for employee parties or parking lot parties or, you know, things like that, where we can, you know, support our clients, support our customers and our dealers. And, you know, like I said, we're going to do it old school. We're not going to, I'm not going to say we're not going to do a bunch of social media and stuff like that, but we're going to do, you know, what, I think everybody around here grew their businesses on that's old fashioned, good customer service. Did you um, talk to any local entrepreneurs or businessmen before you jumped in? Did you do your due diligence and say, Hey, do you, do you think that there's a chance that this could happen? Or was it just mainly based on JP's success and his vision? And cause JP is very well connected in this area, especially with food. I mean, I've written down some notes here in the last couple of days of places to find his inspiration or his influence on food the reno rodeo the balloon races moms on the run um you could go down a list and come up with um so many different extracurricular spots that you can find his food in right there you got instant implement implementation of the tahoe creamery brand in that kind of stuff so that helps that's a big step is that all it took for you to get involved i know that you have a connection to pinocchio that we don't have to go into but is that all it took was him going dude i can get it here and you're going man, I know everybody in this industry and this industry from all my time spent in the field doing this. Is that all it took was boom, let's do it. You, you know, what was it, it really, we, I mean, to, to cut the boring part of it out, you know, there was other meetings and things like that, but when we made that first batch of ice cream, you know, and, and without again, being too nerdy, there's, there's something called a, a batch freezer where you can just do a small run of ice cream you know, you can try your recipes. And when we made that first batch of ice cream, we, we all, and, and myself included, was like, wow, this is really good ice cream. No, we just made vanilla, you know, you just a, a different kind of vanilla that had, you know, it's actually vanilla bean. So instead of putting those little microscopic specks of vanilla bean in there, we put real vanilla bean in there, you know, the real raw vanilla bean, um, which, uh, it makes a difference. You know what I mean? And that's what just trying it that first time, it was like, man, this is a, this is a viable thing. This is something that can be sold. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't hurt that JP's got two restaurants in town that he can push probably more ice cream than your average Baskin and Robbins, you know, just cause he's, he's a salesman, you know, his, his family are salesmen, his, his staff, they're going to sell it. it. He goes through a bunch of ice cream. Yeah, it doesn't hurt that, you know, we could take it to the rodeo or we could take it to the air races or we could take it to wherever, you know, those things all definitely help. But the proof for me was really in the pudding. You know, it, I tried that ice cream and I thought, wow, th there's no way this doesn't sell. And it's totally foreign to me. You know, the the whole 
Well, sales are sales, but I mean, the, the food industry is totally foreign to me, you know, and, and, you know, I did my first tasting with, um, luckily I had a friend in there, but at the Renaissance, I had never sampled ice cream with anyone before. I didn't even know what to do. You know, I brought in two huge bags of, you know, spoons and cups and ice cream scoops and all these different ice creams in a freezer bag with dry ice, which I didn't need and all this stuff, you know, but I'm learning as I go. But yeah, to have a guy like JP, you know, who's done all that kind of stuff in the food industry and, and Danny as well, you know, Danny, he knows everything about ice cream and everything about going to a, a, a casino and pitching it to a GM and a executive chef and a food and beverage manager all at the same time. You know, you're with the three biggest guys in that part of the, of the business and you got to be confident and, and do all those things that a salesman does. But at the same time, you got to serve somebody ice cream. It's, it's tough. There's no, no doubt about it. I'm learning as I go. Um, but yeah, just to, to have that support, you know, in the background, it, it definitely made it an easy decision for me to get involved. And what was, what was JP's stance on it? Like he wanted you involved because he knew you had some talents and prowess in spreading the word, or was it more like he wasn't going to do it without somebody? Because obviously he's swamped with what his everyday life is with his restaurants and his success there. Are you looking at it like, man, is JP just getting me involved because I'm around because I have this connection with him? Or is he really taking me as a serious partner in this? Because I keep going back to the fact that you have so much to offer a business and a company. Like it's the freaking ice cream business. That's the way that I'm looking at is like, how in the freak does Alex Crosby end up as an ice cream guy? And with the potential to earn what you're talking about, this company has the potential to do. Is he like, is he looking at it like, I'll do it if you do it. I'm doing it no matter what. I'm going to welcome you in on this. Or are you like, hey, man, let's do this. Let's, I'm ready. Let's go to work. No, you know, he, so um, he came out originally, you know, I think that he was pitched this idea like five years ago. And um, he wasn't pitched it as, a, as becoming a partner. He was, he was kind of asked his advice about it. And he said, yeah, you guys should do that. Sounds like a great deal. Well, you know, fast forward three years down the road, he, he runs into Danny again and he says, well, how's the ice cream business? You know, and Danny says, well, I never did it. Well, why didn't you do it? And, you know, Danny, uh, Danny expressed his concerns and, and they were not concerns of JP. So JP says, I'm going to have Alex come sit in and on meeting with us because I've got two restaurants and I don't have time for this, you know, but I believe in what you're saying. You just need a guy that can come in here and do all these things that you're scared of. You know what I mean? I'm scared is not the right word. And if Danny's listening, I hope apprehensive. I yeah. And he said, you, you need a guy like him, you know, he'll, he'll go through the nuts and bolts of it. He'll go make all those sales calls. He'll go watch the bottom line. You know, all those skills that I've gained over the years, you know, that's, this is the, the guy that'll do it for you. And we sat down and, and I'd never met Danny before in my life, you know, and he's a great guy. He's really nice. And, the, the, the kind of, it wasn't like a, Hey, this is, is hinging on you. But JP kind of said, look, I'm not going to do this without you. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't have time. I need a guy that I can trust a guy that'll, you know, look after my best interests. If you're interested, let's do it. You know? And so I don't think, you know, I, I, I definitely don't, I was not brought in because, uh, Jillian's my girlfriend, JP's daughter. Oh, um, whoa, whoa. I thought we were keeping that under no, wraps. I, you know, and, and I think that it's funny because I think JP, is concerned about that. And, you know, I, 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 I 
my well, I mean, track you record. Got, if you guys did. break up, then you got to still be in bed with JP. Well, no, I think he we, should have a concern, right? Right. Well, we have a house together. I've been thinking about it. if we do break up, how I can get all my stuff out of Is there. Is it common law already? I don't think so. JP's Italian, dude. You I was one phone it. call, and that Joe Pesci baseball bat oh. and Cadillac shows up. Hey, I'll be. You're in going those. to a cornfield, not to goose hunt, bro. Con- concrete size tens, guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> JP isn't connected, is he? Nah. Uh, His last name ends in a vowel, dude. So I mean. <laughs> um, but no, you know, that is a funny thing that, you know, that, and JP's expressed that concern to me, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, I don't, I've never been given anything in my life, you know, I've, I, I've earned everything. And it's funny, he relates it to his daughter who has worked for him for 10 or 15 years. You know, he says, everybody swears that, you know, I give Jilly the world. I treat, she works I treat her, her tougher than anybody else, you know, and that's, he's got the same mentality with me, man. He's a, there's no free ride, you know, definitely no free ride. It's a, Hey, I want you here because I trust you and I know you're, you're, you know, I hate to say you're smart, but you know, you, you got a good head on your shoulders and this is how it is. You know, that's, that's who you want to be in business with. You know so you I mean? don't have to answer this, but while you're talking, I'm thinking of this. Yeah. You are tightly connected to the family. You've been, it's not like you just started dating Jillian yeah. yesterday. You've been with her years now. Was it four years now? I think it'd be six in April. Jesus criminy. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. I mean, you guys ain't going anywhere, but is the, is the company vested or are you vested in the company? Is it, is it funded to where this is your full-time gig now? Are you make, drawing a salary off of this young company, which it's not a startup, but in a way it is because you're really starting over from scratch or are you working for the bigger picture? And, and I know you're an equity owner, but are you working for more equity with elbow grease right now? Because that's a way that people can earn ownership and ep- equity without, you know, a capital call or an infusion into the company or, is this just a dream that you hope that comes true and you're going to give it, you're, you're going to give it hell for a year. And then if it doesn't, you're going to be back to, you know, selling duck calls in a hotel room in Laughlin after a Zach Brown concert. Absolutely. No. Yeah. All those things, man. Uh, I, I I'm drawing a, a little bit of a salary, you know I mean? Enough to, enough to get by, you know, um, because I don't want to take from this fledgling company. You know what I mean? It's just, that is what it is. Um, and I am, working towards, you know, like you said, more ownership, equity, ownership, sweat equity, as some people call it. Um, but really we're, we're all three working together to try and make this thing big. You know, like, I, I don't know the exact number, but it's something like $87 billion industry. Um, and something like 37% of people that, that purchase ice cream would prefer to purchase a local ice cream, you know? So I don't, I don't want to do the math on it, but there's, you know, there's 87 a lot. billion annually sells in ice cream. Yeah. And it's growing. You keep talking. I'm Googling right now. It's, it's growing. 87. I, I, I might be off on it. Well, no. think about the, the way that I look at it as I compare it to what we do and ours is a huge industry hunting and fishing, but our items are high dollar items. Now, now you're talking about no season, which I think that the fishing and the hunting and everything overlaps 12 months a year. Ice cream, you think, well, in, in this area, is there a lot of ice cream being eaten in, in October, November, December, January, February, March, when there's freaking snow up the ass in the place that you call your, you know, your name's your company after Tahoe. I'm thinking like, is there really a market year round here for it? Because seasonal business is going from the duck blind to the fly rod, to the turkey woods, to this and, and that you're in the outdoors a lot. Like a, a seasonal business that does, or something that doesn't have a season would be a Yeti, a Gator cooler. They don't have a season. You, you need one for the slopes. You need one for camping. You need one for fishing. You need one for tailgating, whether it's football, whatever it is. Ice cream. Are you sure that you're going to be able to sell it in December? So 
and believe me, I was as blown away at, at all these things. So I kind of thought the same thing. We're going to have this slowdown during the winter, which would be great for me because I could go hunting more, but ice cream sales don't taper off in the colder months. The novelties taper off, which are like your ice cream sandwiches and, and things like that. Those do taper off, but actual ice cream sales do not. And one of the resorts here that I'll just, I won't say the name of them. Um, in the slow months, they do 60 tubs of ice cream a month. So 180 gallons of ice cream in a month. Uh, 180 gallons? Yeah. That's a lot of ice cream. But the, the average American consumes, this is blowing my mind. <laughs> the average American consumes more than 23 pounds of ice cream per year. The average American Regular ice cream is the most popular category of frozen desserts. U.S. United States ice cream companies made more than 898 million gallons of ice cream in a year. It's crazy, dude. 898 million. So if you if you calculate that into just if they were selling it for a dollar a gallon, which it's way more than that, that's 898 million dollars of revenue just right there in 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 just selling it for a dollar a gallon. Isn't that crazy? So I had no idea. So it, it's like everything. When I worked in the plumbing world, I would start to look at plumbing and think when we went to Arizona last week and it blew my mind. We stopped at that first gas station or whatever in 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 uh Wickenburg or whatever. The front sign on that gas station was advertising scoop ice cream in a gas station. So when you walked inside, I don't know if you noticed, straight to your left was like a 16 um, bunker scoop station. So they had 16 different flavors of ice cream that they were scooping into bowls and cones and whatever at a gas station. Now, that just just blows my mind. because It's funny because it made me think about we're not going to sell a lot of pint ice cream when you can go get it scooped, you know, right in front of you and probably have toppings and get a waffle cone and all that stuff. But to think about that little town of Arizona at the gas station, right on their front door, they're advertising one scoop, two ninety nine, two scoops, five ninety nine. You know, that's crazy what your mind and your eye starts to catch when you get into an industry and the ice cream world is it's nuts, dude. But I, it stays 98 degrees almost all year in Phoenix. Right. You're talking, you're talking waking up to a low of 23 here. Now, I'm, not, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. Yeah. Do people really eat ice cream in December all, in Nevada? All year long. Or in Reno. Let's not say Vegas because Vegas is pretty much Phoenix. Well, what was last month, one of, our, one of our accounts, and it's in a small portion of the I don't want to talk about who they are. We sent them 28 tubs of ice cream, which are three gallon tubs, cho- just chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. Cause they're, you know, like in a restaurant setting, not a scoop shop. So there's not an ice cream shop. These are people ordering a scoop of ice cream after dinner or a brownie Sunday or whatever, you know, they might offer a milkshake. That was last month when we had a couple feet of snow, what that one storm dropped, what 10 or 11 feet up in the mountains. They still eat that much ice cream. That's weird. We did. Uh, you would think it'd be hot chocolate and maybe a, a cake. 
I just, I, I, if you need something sweet and a dessert, it just seems like the mind tells me if it's freezing outside, you don't eat ice cream. It's, it's, it, you know, it's known as a summertime, springtime mm-hmm. dessert. That's when the flip flops come out and the bottles of Yoo-Hoo rolling on the floor and the sunglasses and the Kenny Chesney song and, and getting a <laughs> scoop of ice cream, you know, it's, it's Yoo-Hoo, uh, but you think about it, it's like, it's a summertime freaking dessert, not a Christmas dessert. But it's, it's, it's crazy, man. The, the sales don't drop off for ice cream in the wintertime, which is, it, it is completely opposite of what you would believe, but that's what, that's what their studies show. And I don't, I don't do the studies. I just read them. You know, like I said, that your ice cream sandwiches and stuff like that, they see a small decline. Um, shoot in December, we sent eight pallets of ice cream up to the lake. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, it's, I, I guess not knowing about it before and seeing it now, it is truly amazing what this industry is. Um, and I'm not, I've never even been to a trade show yet. You know what I mean? When you, when you, well, I'm starting to get emails on them now, kind of like you probably do for NRA and shot and all that stuff. It, they've got their own conventions and, you know, one's in Vegas here in August, one's in North Carolina in June or something like that. They do one in Europe that people go to and all surrounded buy ice cream, gelato, sorbet, you know, that frozen dessert market, there's a frozen custard or something like that too. But it's insane. You think it's a, and you mix in with that, like this whole health kick in America. Like I remember when, what's his name? Dr. Atkins came out with the Atkins diet. And I remember right during that same time period, there was a Krispy Kremes built in Reno and it shut down like within a year because people are like, I donuts are the, the devil. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, I can't eat carbs. Well, freaking ice cream's full of carbs. Oh, yeah. It's full of sugar. It's full of fat. It's not a healthy snack. It's not like going and grabbing some some blueberries or some kale or whatever the <laughs> freak these gym rats are eating. I love nutrition. I love fitness. I get into all of that. But is that a worry to you that something like that could happen to where I'm thinking like there's nothing that can stop this ice cream train. This is a locomotive that ain't, it's full of steam. 898 million gallons made in a year and sold and you're talking about billions of dollars in annual revenue could somebody like the next dr atkins come in and go if you eat ice cream you're gonna die it's probably not a worry because of the historic you know the history of ice cream is that it's it's the all-time favorite to kids ice cream trucks and hearing that sound and the the bell go off and the dessert and, and and how many kids ask mom and dad for ice cream after dinner it's like there's nothing that can really stop it so if you really put the 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 facts to it and the logistics and what you talk about the studies that you really aren't keen to but people have done and that you're learning as you go right now and with the with you know some of these trade shows i know that you're you're very serious about this man i wish i'd have gotten involved in this deal like i wish jp liked me like hmm. hey chad you want to come and peddle some ice cream it, it sounds awesome yeah and i mean it the, it, it wasn't easy to to get going and it, it's still you know the the there's a lot to it. You know, like I said, it mixing, you know, 750 gallons of mix and ingredients and tasting and, you know, getting it perfect. And then, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of machinery that not a lot of machinery, but there's an, you know, there's an ice cream, a continuous freezer, they call it. And, um, you know, we've got a pint filler machine and, you know, the, 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 uh, the large tubs we're actually, you know, kind of filling and finishing by hand. There is a lot to it, but at the same time, it, it, it is kind of cool to see and learn about a new deal. I just, uh, I just was reading the other day that Rocky road ice cream was kind of created main famous, made famous by the great depression, you know, so Rocky road, you know, it's a, it's a, it was oh, a tough, yeah, it was a tough time 
but ice cream is relatively cheap. You know what I mean? You're, you're not talking, you know, huge. are you allowed to talk about this pint right here? What is it at retail? Six bucks is what the, you know, the, the suggested uh, retail is on that. So, and that's, you know, you're talking about at a convenience store or something like that. The grocery stores, um, they'll be a little bit under that, you know, is it the only size you're making it in? We have three gallon tubs for restaurants and scoop shops. So um, if you have room at your residence, let's say you have a chest freezer. You could have a three-gallon tub. You got room in your chest freezer? I'll bring you a three-gallon tub of coffee. Oh, I'll toffee. buy it. I want, I, want to, I want to support the brand. I love it. I think it looks cool. And when when it gets the validation of, you know, the people that I run with, then you know you're on to something. But six bucks for this. Mm-hmm. Six bucks. I'm just trying to, you know, put it into context of a movie ticket's like, I don't even know now, like 12 bucks, right? Right. You get a lot of satisfaction out of this. This is a serving that, you know, you could probably smoke this in one sitting. You'd oh, probably yeah. take two nights to do it. But this stuff's so addicting, you got to be careful of taking this lid off of this shit because you're, like, putting yourself in a position to where, can I stop at two bites? <laughs> We're not 21. Our metabolisms, even though I do think I have a pretty strong metabolism with the way that I party or the way that I eat or the way that I entertain, you're the same you, you got to be able to discipline yourself and making it like this to where, you know, the old fashioned ones where you had the half gallon or the gallon where you take it off and just make a couple scoops. This is, you're going to smoke this whole thing in one sitting. You could. That's it, not cool. I, I think that, uh, I think I heard you telling somebody the other day that you, you have what, three, three tablespoons, no, two. two tablespoons, but you eat it real slow. I, well, what I like to do is I like to, I like to think that I'm disciplined with my diet. I, I try to be because when I'm on the road, I'm not as much. So I have this ice cream readily available in the freezer. I go and I get one good tablespoon size and I might have a half a banana and I might either have peanut butter or this ice cream, mainly this ice cream now. And I just, you know, kind of suck on the spoon until that whole spoonful is gone. And before I start eating it, I put the lid back on this freaking thing and back in the freezer and then lock it up with the combination lock that I don't know the, the combination to. That's what I need to do. You need Be- the alarm on your freezer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, an alarm, then I'm going to catch a lot of people stealing some shit. God, it's amazing. Yeah, dude, I'm missing two Traegers right now. I go in my backyard and I'm like, have no idea where they're at. I'm like, I'm not going to accuse my friends that they took my Traegers, but my friends took my Traegers and I don't remember them asking, but I got this gate that just opens up. They back their truck up. They know you're spring training. And then I'm like, Hey, did you happen to see my Traeger? And they're like, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I had a cook coming up, so I get them back, but it's just, this ice cream is going to be stolen a lot, but I'm not trying to joke around with it. It's, it's really good quality ice cream and six bucks for this. It seems very reasonable. Um, the packaging says a lot to me. I think that it, packaging is a huge thing in retail merchandising. When you go in, you look at that. haagen has got beautiful packaging, but it might be considered bland all these years later. Tom and Jerry's has always had creative packaging for their different flavors, and I think that they had their face on the lid of two nerds in Brooklyn. Are one of them dead? Did one of them almost die or one of them die from... So I don't know. I don't They remember. sold their company. I, I bet you they made freaking mint on it, huh? Dryers sold for $5 billion. To who the hell would buy dryers? I forgot about dryers. That's another iconic ice cream brand. $5 billion. That's crazy. I, I like, you said, I mean, the, the, it's, it, I, I'm not, uh, all the way versed in it yet, but I have been doing some research and stuff. And, you know, Ben and Jerry started with a scoop shop and I think 1972 and they, they became famous by giving out ice cream free. One day, you know, so one day of the year, I don't know what day it is, but they still continue to this day in their scoop shops. They give out a, 
a, uh, a scoop of ice cream for free. Um, but yeah, they sold their company. Um, so there's big, you know, there's, there's like some big ice cream companies that are kind of gobbling everybody up. Um, as I think in all business does, right. You know, the, the the big guys want to take it all and, and they don't change maybe everything, but they just gain all that market share. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, man. And And it's, it's, you know, it's a lot like the things that you've done in your life, you know, it's just a, you know, you started a bunch of companies and so you probably know the growing pains we're going through. And like you said, you probably looked at brands over the, over the world and thought, how am I going to compete with those guys? You know, there's guys that have been making waiters for 30 years, but I'm going to do something better. I'm going to do something cool. You've got drive and desire and, you know, you just stick after it and that's what happens. You know, you end up with successful companies, you know, if, if there's a market there for it, you know, so there's a market here for this. Um, Oh, there's a market. I mean, freak, I'm blown away by the numbers. It's, it's isn't it nuts? I, when I, you know, I got a, 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 just a piece of literature that I read and when I read it and their sales are up last year, that's what's funny is it's that big and it's, but it's growing. affordable. It's it affordable and it tastes good. And it, and it, 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 it's one of those things that it, it takes care of your sweet tooth. The only thing that I question about ice cream is how it is. It's I think it's an addiction <laughs> because it does taste so good to where you can't just go, I'm just going to have one bite of this and then I'm going to put it away. And then you maybe the, the secret is to put it in the freezer and then just walk back and forth each bite mm-hmm. to burn some calories while you're eating it. But I think that those sales are high because people are addicted to ice cream. It's when it's a good ice cream. What what other dessert is like that? Like I can't eat a piece of apple pie that often i don't eat a piece of pumpkin pie unless it's thanksgiving christmas time even though i think that it can you know people can make some badass pumpkin pies but ice cream is universally known as the daily i know there's candy bars and there's snickers and there's score and there's all milky ways and there's nestle and all those companies hershey in pennsylvania they're they're billion dollar corporations but it seems to me like ice cream is the like baseball's the american pastime ice cream is the worldwide dessert whether you're an italian the real fine gelatos whether you're in south america they serve it whether in japan after sushi you get those little ice cream balls you know what uh i can't even think of the name of it mochi. I, mochi and i never even eat them because I, I i love sushi so much and i'm always like man that stuff's the the devil you know i just I, I ate enough carbs with this sweet this this sticky rice just now but ice cream is the worldwide dessert it really is it's what it, it's a smart deal to get into and with your guys's background in this area of the country and your connections here and your network here and what jp pinocchio's done and and what his vision has turned into i mean jp didn't come here and move to reno from what i've known or learned about jp over the years is he didn't come here as a restaurant here he he came here in a different facet and you know found you got a, an opportunity to get into the the, the restaurant business and started on moana over there and then that or no i think he started on virginia actually where midtown is now maybe don't know but then it went to moana and then he grew out of that spot and then they were they were widening the street at the same time he's opened up two awesome restaurants in sparks and reno now his 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 style of decorating is different i mean he's very <laughs> add and like you really got to have some focus to understand what's going on in the restaurant but there's something for everybody and there is on the menu too it's a very diverse menu and i think that having him on your team here is is one of those things to where i'm not going to say it's a no brainer because you guys are going to have to do your homework you are going to have to market you are going to have to be legit in sales legitimate in your sales force and your your approach but I think that it's got, in my opinion, it's got the one thing you need, which is quality. 
You say it's going to have customer service. Is there a plan for social media, Instagram? Are people going to be able to go on? And I can just picture it. Hashtag Tahoe Creamery Experience. Or you come up with a slick hashtag and you got all these all these people on their boats at Tahoe. Boom. Up on the ski resorts. Boom. Picture. Here's where I'm eating my chocolate mint. Here's where I'm eating my my Tahoe coffee to- or my trucky toffee coffee. Is it to- coffee toffee? Trucky coffee. It's a tongue twister. Trucky mm-hmm. coffee toffee. Maybe that's an experience to where you can social media it and people are like, boom, I'm, I'm loyal to this brand because I'm loyal to Tahoe. Keep Tahoe blue. That whole mindset of this is the eighth wonder of the world. And we do tend to take it for granted. But man, there's nothing better than driving up Mount Rose Highway or going the trucky way through North Star and popping over that last ridge and seeing the Tahoe blue. And you you brag about it. You have so much pride in taking your friends that have never seen it up there. When you pop over, you're like, and now you're tied to it. You have a brand that has the name in it. And... I'm just wondering, like, are there plans to really get this out there in social media? I know that you're old school, but you can't be ignorant, no, man. No, no. You got to be innovative and you got to roll with the tide and the punches. And so are you guys on Instagram? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're on Instagram. Yeah. Tahoe Creamery. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Um, we've got a new website being built right now that, you know, really kind of that uh, best, you know, foot forward kind of a website. It, it's it's you know, it's, it's different. There are some companies that are selling ice cream online. You know what I mean? You can, you can order ice cream and have it shipped all over the world. We haven't quite figured that out yet. Um, I don't even know if we want to figure that out yet, but, um, we are going to go that we're not naive to think that you can't, you know, you've got to be in that, in that marketplace. You've got to be on social media. Um, and hopefully, like you said, we'll, we'll build that bond with our customer. Like you said, when you're sitting at the beach at Tahoe or when you're, you know, up at one of those resorts skiing, um, that you, you become, you know, one with this brand and you actually beyond, you know, I I think that we like to, to say that we're local and we are local here, but when you have bigger dreams than being local, you know, you got to get people to go back to their, when they come to Tahoe and they try it or whatever, then they want to go back and they still want that ice cream. They still want to be involved with that ice cream or, you know, with that brand. And, you know, that is what we're going to hopefully stay relevant on with social media. And and until we are spread a little further out, you know, hopefully people will remember us through our social media platform, our website and stuff like that and stay involved with us. So yeah, we're we're definitely going to be there. Well, I just went on and I followed Tahoe Creamery. Hashtag tastes like vacation, grab a spoon fill tahocreamery.com i wish you guys luck crosbo you're one of my boys one of my best friends this is going to be awesome you guys check them out tahoe creamery on instagram tahocreamery.com the top of their lid says 1644 that's the depth of lake tahoe if you've never been to lake tahoe get there i've had arguments and i've won bets and i don't know if they're legitimate bets but i'll argue until i'm blue in the face that it is the number one visited tourist attraction lake in the world. I don't care Crater Lake or anywhere in Minnesota or the land of 10,000 lakes like they say or anywhere in Europe or anywhere. Tahoe is amazing, whether it's summertime, springtime or wintertime. And it's a place that you have to visit. And while you're there, grab a pint of Truckee Coffee Toffee or the Strawberry Slopes Forever. That's kind of off of a, uh, a Beatles song, Strawberry Fields for you. I like that. No, well, now, now we're going to get sued. Now you're going to get sued by <laughs> Paul McCartney's estate. Campfire Cookies and Cream. They got several other flavors. And look for them in your local restaurants, your local areas that serve ice cream in, or your local establishments that serve ice cream in the Reno Tahoe area. Um, and they're going to be s- spreading out to those six states in the next 
60 months, five years. They got it. So uh, hashtag them, follow them on Instagram, support them. They're a local company. Crosby born and raised here in Reno. He's an outdoorsman. He loves to hunt and fish. And um, we're excited to have him here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. We'll have him on again in maybe six months to see how they survive the summer and if they were able to make enough ice cream for all of you ice cream connoisseurs out there. Tahoe Creamery on Instagram, tahocreamery.com. Alex Crosby, to end this, I want you to just tell me real quick, going back to spring training, what did you have George Brett write on the autograph bat that he did for you? Say it real quick. And then, Tom, you go ahead and play Leith Lofton. What are you going to do when the money's all gone? We're excited that Leith Lofton is going in the studio next week at Southern Ground to record his upcoming album. I'm fired up. Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. What are you going to do when the money's all gone? Tom will play it as soon as Alex Crosby says these words. George, when I get my stick that says, Jeans... Black Bucks, no socks. Signed by George Brett. Jeans, Black Bucks, no socks. Guys, today's episode was brought to you by the North American Wild, or the, I'm sorry, the North American Whitetail Championships brought to you by our friends at Bone Collector and Wicked Outfitters in Kansas. It's going to be an awesome deer hunting contest, all archery, 14 regions across America and Canada. $300 gets you in for your chance to qualify and win $50,000 cash money. $300, and as soon as you hit that enter and sign up button, you're going to get a prize package valued at well over that with a Gator Tumbler, a Tacticam, Broadhead peep sight stuff to accessorize your bow if you're an archery hunter if you have a passion for chasing white-tailed deer if you think you have what it takes to compete with the big boys the locals around your area people on a national platform 14 regions across america and canada it's the 2019 north american whitetail championships visit them at nawtc.com on on instagram it's nawtc follow them get involved get signed up like i said it's a no-brainer it's an ethical part of our sport and it's going to unite deer hunters from across this country if you think you got the skills to pay the bills sign up for the 2019 north american whitetail championships tell them chad and the foul life crew sent to you and it sent you and it's brought to you by michael waddell and the bone collector crew as well as our friends clinton steve at wicked outfitters in the great state of kansas known as a flyover state but it's got so much to offer including mallard ducks canada geese turkeys and those big old white-tailed buck deer munching on clover. So uh, check them out, nawtc.com. Get signed up and support it. And I hope you guys win that $50,000 cash money. Alex Crosby, Tahoe Creamery, thank you very much. Tom, I'm sorry to stagger on, but go ahead and play What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone by our boy, Leith Lofton. Say life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?